Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the foundation that we have in Christ. God, I pray that you would help us as we look at each and every verse in this passage, that you give us understanding through your spirit, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. And God, we pray that we would be doers of the word today, not just hearers, Lord, that you would edify and build up our church through this word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the most exciting projects that I've been a part of in ministry has been uh, this building project uh, related to the building that we're in today. And uh, it's crazy that we've been in this building since late June, and it's really hard to, uh, to, to put into words the way that this building has helped to maximize gospel ministry. And that was really one of our prayers. That was one of our hopes as we were raising money, as we were looking at blueprints and schematic designs. Our prayer was that this building would be just a tool to help us in gospel ministry, that this wouldn't be the destination. This wouldn't be the goal as if we've got a building, now we finally have arrived, but that this would be a tool to live out our mission uh, and our strategy as a church. And we believe by God's grace uh, that has taken place. Uh, Just to give you a couple of examples, since opening up in late June, uh, we've had over 250 first-time visitors come in through our church uh, who are looking for a church home. We've also been able to do a few different outreach events, even in the midst of COVID-19, like passing out uh, countless meals through the Midwest Food Bank. We've been able to host a, uh, a blood drive, and we're going to be doing that again over the next couple of months. Uh, we uh, hosted our fall festival event a couple weeks ago and, and have actually hosted other community events, events uh, from outside of our church, having hundreds of people onto our property. But we've also been able to deepen existing ministries, our student ministry, children's ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, Bible studies, equip classes, you go through the line and each of our ministries has been able to kind of take that next step uh, to maximize gospel ministry. And even for those of you who uh, served on our setup and teardown teams at the school uh, over the first couple of years, uh, you probably are thankful for this building. You get to come to church now and you get to worship the Lord and not be so physically sore uh, with your arms and your legs. And we just thank you for those who served on those teams. Again, this is just the first four months being in this building in the midst of a global pandemic. This building has been a gift. And I just wanted to thank you for your generosity, for those of you who have participated in the giving uh, uh, towards this building. But the reality is, is that before any of those things could take place on this property, the construction of this building had had to have been done correctly. The reality is, is that all the things that we wanted to do as far as uh, the ministry and the advancement of the gospel would not have taken place in this building unless the construction was done accurately. In fact, uh, here's a picture of of the foundation of our building, even the walls being put up uh, about 18 months ago. And the reality is, is that the foundation had to have been poured perfectly. Uh, those precast walls had to have been precisely put into the footer foundation and really hundreds, if not thousands of other aspects of the construction of this building had to have been done with care and intentionality and accuracy or else this building will not last. Now, I think that is exactly the Apostle Paul's point in chapter three, verses 10 through 17, that Paul is transitioning from using an agricultural metaphor 
to explaining the church. Remember the, the planting of the seed, the watering of the seed, God giving the growth. He's transitioning from that metaphor to now using the metaphor of a building to explaining uh, what the church should be all about. Now we know that the church is not the building, okay? The church is the people of God. We say that a lot from time to time. And yet Paul uses this metaphor and uses some strong language within this metaphor to communicate the necessity of having the correct foundation for a church, of having the correct uh, spiritual materials in order to build up that church, and also following the right building plans for the vision of that church. Because if, if we fail to apply these words from Paul, then that particular church will not last. So the question that I wanna answer this morning from this passage is what can we learn from Paul's metaphor for us to build God's church correctly here at Pennington Park Church? Okay, just a couple of things to point out here. The first is to make sure that we have the correct foundation the correct foundation. If you look at uh, verse 10 with me, Paul says that God gave him grace and that this grace empowered Paul to lay the correct foundation for this church in Corinth because he was a skilled master builder. Now it's interesting that this Greek word for skilled here is the same word that we translate as wise. Okay, so you, you see this, this theme of wisdom continue on throughout chapter three, where Paul says that he was this wise architect in the construction of this church as he first focuses on the foundation here in Corinth. And that's exactly why Paul could describe himself as this wise or this skilled builder. It's because of verse 11. And Paul says he was wise because he laid the foundation of this church solely on Jesus Christ. In fact, verse 11, Paul even says that there really cannot be any other foundation for the church other than Jesus Christ, because then that church would cease to be a church. You, you can almost hear chapter one, verse 23, screaming out in these verses that Paul is talking about, where Paul says that when we came, we preached Christ and Christ crucified, that Jesus must be the foundation of the church in order for her to last. Look, this is part of the reason why our mission here at this church is to know Jesus and to make him known to others, that we want to be a church that is fully centered around the person and the work of Christ and to have him impact every aspect, every ministry, everything that we do. And the reason why we want Jesus to be the center and the foundation of our church is because we believe that Jesus did something that none of us could do. That Jesus made a way for the salvation of our souls when there was no other way. That we believe that Jesus stood in our place of condemnation by taking on the penalty of our sin so that we can now stand in the place of innocence and acceptance before God, taking on his righteousness. That Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, allows us to have our sins forgiven when we place our faith upon Christ. 
And because of the gospel, because of the good news, we believe that Jesus must be the foundation of the church. In fact, the church is the bride of Christ, that Jesus is our leader, he's the center, he's the goal, he's the target, he is the foundation. Look, I know that we believe that if you're a follower of Jesus, you should believe that as well, that if you're uh, someone who's attending our church, that should not be a surprise to you of Jesus being the foundation of his bride. But this morning, I wanna kind of tease that out a little bit because sometimes Jesus being the foundation of the church can just become this cute little phrase that we say from time to time, but we don't understand maybe the implications of that. So let me give us two implications of why it's important for Jesus to be the foundation of the church. The first one is uh, for Jesus being the foundation of the church is important because it leads to a deep sense of unity that Jesus creates unity among the people of God, not just because the people of God all agree on what, the, on what the foundation should be, although that's important, but Jesus creates a deep sense of unity because no matter how diverse a group of people might be, we all share in the same reality that we have had our sins forgiven by the same person who is Jesus Christ. In other words, no matter how a group of people looks around and sees how different we might be, where there's different ages, different life stages, we might look differently, we might have different gifts and spiritual maturity levels and different socioeconomic statuses and the line goes on and on. No matter all of those differences, the people of God can experience a deep sense of unity when we understand that what we share in common is the most transforming truth in the universe, and that is having our sins cleansed by Jesus Christ and Him alone. That that reality, I believe, creates the deepest sense of unity that a group of people can experience in the universe that this is something that the world cannot offer and something that the people of God should press into all the more. But I think Jesus having this foundation of the church not only leads to unity, but I think it also leads to stability, lasting stability. I think this is important, especially right now uh, in, the, in the day and age in which we live in, because churches and, and our individual lives, we go through different seasons, don't we? We go through ups and downs. We go through trials and, and celebration, joys and hardships. And the question we have to answer is what will hold a group of people together through the ups and the downs? What will hold your life together when you go through the ups and, and the downs? And the only question that brings lasting stability is Jesus Christ. And the reason why that's true is because Jesus Christ is the only unchanging reality in the universe. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the surest foundation. He is the unmovable rock and a strong fortress. 
And so when you're thinking through living in kind of an unstable time where instability is maybe all around us and maybe that's overwhelming you this morning, my encouragement for you is to press into Jesus Christ who forms this foundation that is unmoving, that you can, you can basically stake your life in to create stability for your life. Look, I think this is really important as we think about what it means for a church to live out the wisdom that God has given us, that God offers. I mean, divine wisdom has been one of these themes that we've seen over the last several weeks in all of these passages. And, and as I was thinking about that, and again, Paul uses this word again, wisdom, I was thinking, how does wisdom impact the way that the church finds its foundation in Jesus? And Matthew 7 came to mind. These are the words of Jesus. I want you to listen to these and notice the connection between wisdom and the foundation of our lives or the foundation of our church. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because... It had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. But taking these words of Christ and applying it to our church, wisdom means that we build our church, we build our lives on the unifying and forever stable person and work of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything that we need more right now than unity and stability. That when I look out in the world around me, all I see is disunity and division. I see instability everywhere. And yet this is a good reminder for us because what we have in Jesus, unity and stability, is something that the world cannot offer. And so this morning, if you crave unity, if you're just tired of the disunity around us, then can I encourage you to press into the unity that's found in Jesus here with the people of God. Like if you're overwhelmed with the instability of our times, can I encourage you to press into Jesus here with the people of God so that you can experience lasting stability as Jesus being the foundation of our church. So a church that lasts is a church whose foundation is built on Christ. But not only that, but I think within this metaphor that Paul provides, a healthy church is when the people of God within that church is making sure that they're constructing and building up the church correctly, that we're using the right spiritual materials, if you will. I want you to notice Paul's emphasis on being careful in how the church works together. Notice the last sentence in verse 10, where Paul says, let each one take care how he builds upon it, it being the foundation of Christ. Notice that Paul is saying here, it's not enough just to have Jesus Christ be the foundation of the church. That's great, but having Jesus as the foundation should now inform the way that you build up the church, the way you construct the church, the way that you interact with one another within the church. That God's people are to be intentional, they are to be careful, they are not to be lazy or just go through the motions in how we build one another up. 
And I think this applies not only to the leaders and the teachers of the church, but to the whole church, the people of God. Look at the language of verse 10. He says, let each one. In addition, verse 12, he says, now if anyone builds, referring to the whole church. We also know from Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It's the saints, it's the people of God who are responsible to make sure that we are building up one another, the bride of Christ. Now, the question is, how do we do that well? What does that look like practically to build one another up? I think one way that we do this within this metaphor is that we build one another up together, right? It might sound obvious, but this metaphor completely breaks down if we decide, you know what, I'm just gonna do this on my own. I'm gonna allow this individualistic mindset from the culture to infiltrate the church and I'm just gonna focus on me and my growth and not offer myself up to others within the church. I'm just gonna come on Sundays or I'm gonna listen online. I'm not gonna interact with anybody. I'm not gonna use my gifts. I'm not gonna try to edify people. And I'm just gonna focus on my own personal growth. If that's your mindset, this metaphor is pressing up against that because you cannot live within the body or within this building metaphor only focused on you. In fact, Paul's gonna use Uh, Another metaphor in chapter 12, probably the most popular metaphor for the church, and that is a body. And he's gonna talk about this in chapter 12 where the body has different body parts and yet is one, it's unified. And so if we take that metaphor and apply it here to the building metaphor, we could say that the roof cannot say to the walls, I have no need of you. Right? The, the walls cannot say to the door, because I'm not a door, I don't belong here. Right? This, this building metaphor pushes up against an individualistic, autonomous mindset where I don't need you, all I need is me and the Bible. And I just want to encourage us with that because I think especially Uh, throughout this week, as we're seeing COVID cases continue to rise and we're perhaps gonna see more restrictions coming out, I think that each one of us needs to wrestle with wisdom and with prayer. What does it look like to be part of, of community with other believers in a wise way with COVID? And I think that might look differently for each one of us, especially if you have an existing health condition But one thing that we cannot do over the next couple of months is isolate ourselves from other believers, whether that's in person or digitally, right? We can get creative with how we encourage and exhort one another and expect on the back end of that to be healthy, right? We need the body of Christ. And so again, if that means that we need to get creative with with technology as far as how we exhort and encourage one another throughout the week, then we need to certainly do that. But as you think about making decisions for yourself, making decisions for your family, don't think that I need to social distance myself, which means to isolate myself from other believers by not allowing people to speak into my life and to maturity in Christ. 
And I know it's gonna look different for each one of us. So pray, use wisdom, have other believers speak into that uh, for your own life. I think another way that we can build one another up uh, as far as this metaphor is in verses 12 through 15, that we are building one another up using the right spiritual materials. If you look at verses 12 through 15, um, and in particular, verse 12, Paul says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. I just wanna pause there for a moment because these materials that Paul is listing, and there are six of them, they represent within this metaphor, the means by which God's people use to edify and to construct the building or the church. And in a few verses, we're gonna see that there are perishable items and there are imperishable items that the people of God can choose the right kinds of means to build each other up, which will last, which will um, endure the test of fire on the day of judgment, which will result in a reward, or the people of God can use perishable items, which will not last and which will not endure the test of fire and will result in judgments. So the question should be, What are some of the examples in the Bible of imperishable items, these spiritual materials that the people of God should use to build each other up that will result in a reward? Okay, tracking with me, let me give you a couple of examples that we see in scripture. There are many, let me give you three. Number one is that we need to use the spiritual material of self-sacrificial love with one another. Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Notice here that the way that we grow, the way that we build each other up in love is when each part does its work, is when we are active in our love for one another. So look, love is not just an attitude. It's not just a feeling. It's not just a sentiment that you have for someone else within the body of Christ. Love is an action. Love is a choice of daily sacrificing yourself, your needs for the good of someone else. And when you do that with someone else, with the body of Christ, you are helping to build them up towards maturity. And that's one way that we can do that. Here's here's another way, is through the edification of our words, the edification of our words. Ephesians 4.29, Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Look, especially right now, do not underestimate the power of your words to both encourage and to tear down. Do not be flippant with your words. Your words can be a balm to someone else's soul or it can be a sword that pierces their heart. 
Look, I think we can even apply this. We can bring this principle into the arena of our online behavior and social media, right? I think before, anytime you post, any type of interaction that you have, a great filter question to ask yourself is, will this post build others up? And if it doesn't, then, then the question should be, should I even post this? Should I even interact in a way that's not edifying someone else? Like, I just even wanna encourage you, if you see another brother or sister in Christ who, who's not posting or using social media in an edifying way, can I just encourage you to go directly to that person rather than talking maybe behind their back about it, go directly to them and privately ask them uh, about that. It's a great way that you can help edify one another. And then thirdly, another clear way in scripture of using the right spiritual materials is to use our spiritual gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, and uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually, I promise you, but verse 12, it says, so it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Now, what are those? Well, if you look at Romans 12, we have a list here. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Here's the list. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Look, this is a key way that we can edify and build one another up by using the gifts that God through his spirit has given us and not to sit on them. Look, a great way, if you're wondering, I don't, I don't know my spiritual gift. I don't know what that looks like. Just encourage you to serve, to get involved in a ministry and have others within the body of Christ, maybe affirm some gifts that they're recognizing as you open yourself up to where the spirit might direct you. I think the challenge uh, in these verses 12 through 15 is to make sure that we are rejecting certain materials, spiritual materials that does not lead to the edification of those within the body, but we are using the right ones outlined in scripture. And this is really important because also within this building metaphor, an inspection is coming. Right, Paul says that there is really one who is an expert one who has authority, who will inspect, who will judge the way that we construct the building of his church. Look at verses 13 through 15 and just feel the weight of these words here. It says, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Notice that Paul is saying that each one of our works, as far as building up others, will become visible for the day, and that's a, a capital D day, referring to the end time judgment, will reveal all of our work by this testing, this fire. And so the building inspection will happen at the end time judgment. Now, throughout the New Testament, there are two different kinds of judgments that we see. There is one for unbelievers known as the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. 
And then there's another judgment, the judgment seat of Christ that's for believers in 2 Corinthians 5. And the purpose of the judgment for believers is not to determine whether or not you are saved or not, that's already been determined, but it's to give an account before the Lord how you lived your life for Christ. And the things that you did for the Lord, for the edification of uh, the body of Christ, that will result in a reward for you. But the things that you didn't do for Christ, maybe you didn't use the right spiritual materials in the edification of those around you will result in a loss. It'll be burned up. Notice here, and this is another theme in 1 Corinthians, is that our understanding of the end times should impact directly, or it should directly impact the way that we live our lives in the present. Meaning that the end times, thinking about, yes, Jesus wins in the end, that's not the only thing that we should think about as if, okay, Jesus wins, I don't need to think about what happens in the future. No, this is a great example about how the end time judgment should be a healthy motivator to make sure that we are building one another up well within the church. And you should feel the weight of this, the reality that you will stand before God Almighty and you will give an account based on how you lived your life. And in particular, the way that you edified and built up those around you within the body of Christ. And, and, and the, the purpose of this, and maybe for some of us, we're thinking, man, this, this is creating a healthy amount of fear because I'm not edifying the people around me. I'm not using my gifts. I'm not using my words. I'm not loving sacrificially. And so part of the purpose here with Paul giving this challenge is to motivate us to taking this seriously that the way you live today within the body of Christ has implications for when you stand before the Lord Jesus. Just to give a, maybe a dramatic illustration of this, of making sure that we're building well, 1994, and maybe some of you remember this, but 1994, there was a, a really bad earthquake in Southern California. And in Northridge, California, the, there was an apartment complex that, that, that completely collapsed and it led to the death of 16 different people. Now, the result of that is that the builders of that apartment complex were then taken to court and they were actually required to pay over $1 million in a lawsuit alleging wrongful death. Now, I know that's a little bit extreme, but the point within this metaphor, especially the metaphor that Paul has in mind here, is that when the people of God fail to build the church in biblical ways, you will have to give an account based on that. And you may not lose your salvation, as verse 15 makes clear, but you will suffer loss. Now that leads us to the last aspect of this passage in verses 16 and 17. And this might feel um, like it's going in a different direction than the previous verses, but I'm gonna show us how the temple and the building actually come together. Paul now uses a third metaphor in describing the church, the, the temple of God in these verses. And Paul's main point in using this metaphor is to show us that God's presence is no longer contained only in one location, namely the sanctuary in the Old Testament temple, 
but the new people of God, the church through Jesus Christ is the new temple of God where his presence by his spirit dwells. Now, certainly the spirit of God dwells and lives and resides in each individual believer. Yes and amen to that. But the you in verses 16 and 17 is plural. And so Paul's point here is that there is a unique expression of, Paul, of God's presence when God's people are gathered together, all right? As God dwells and resides here, there are multiple of us who have the spirit of God living within us. And in this place, when we gather, God's presence can be uniquely and tangibly experienced. I want to just see how these two metaphors come together in another passage, Ephesians chapter two, verses 19 and 22. Notice building and temple and the dwelling place of God here. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, this is important because Paul is, is bringing this immense challenge before the Corinthians in how they are to relate and how they are to interact with one another. And he's taking this challenge to a whole new level. Throughout 1 Corinthians 3, he's been challenging them, trying to humble them, saying, you are spiritually immature. You are carnal Christians. You are an infant in Christ. Then he takes it to the next level and talks about the end time judgment, how you will stand before Christ and give an account based on how you interact with one another. Well, here he takes it to a whole new level. And he says to the Corinthians that God's presence resides in you. And if you destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. Feel the weight of that. Because for Paul here, he's looking at their quarreling He's looking at their disunity and their divisions and eventually their sexual immorality and they're suing each other and their misuse of the spiritual gifts. And he is saying, those are the things that are destroying God's temple. And Paul is saying, do you not know that God through his spirit lives here and resides here and dwells in here? Paul's essentially saying to the Corinthians, which should be a challenge for us, that these issues going on in your church are crowding out the spirit of God from, from feeling at home here and being freely on the move, being at work. And Paul is saying, look, that, that little interaction that you're having with someone else within the body of Christ that is divisive or that little issue that hasn't been resolved yet, that's not just a little issue between you, but the spirit of God, that issue can grow and become bigger where the spirit of God feels crowded out within that particular body. See, I love this challenge here because the challenge for us today is to think through, are we creating a welcoming atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to dwell and to be freely at work within our lives based on the way that we interact 
with one another. Like I want us to be a church that, that is committed to building one another up, to edifying each, edifying each other in our love for each other, in our words, and using our spiritual gifts so that no matter who walks through those doors, they are, they are taken up in this current, this strong current of spiritual growth as we pursue Jesus with all that we are. See, that's a church that's healthy, and that is a church that will last. I think understanding that God's presence will lead us to living holy and godly lives. Well, as we look to to close this morning, and before we sing this last song together, I want to give us a chance just to reflect on certain aspects of this passage. I've said a lot of things this morning. just want to provide three reflection questions uh, over the next couple of minutes, just between you and the Lord, thinking through how do I need to practically apply this passage today? The first question here is, in what ways do you need to press into Jesus to find stability in an uncertain time and to experience unity with others? Number two, another question is, what are some practical ways that you can grow in building up God's people in love, in your words, and in your spiritual gifts? What are some steps that you can take? And then thirdly, because God's presence resides in his people, what sin do you need to turn from today? Do you need to confess and repent and pursue godliness? Let's take the next couple of minutes just to reflect on those questions so that we can grow as the building and the body of Christ. Let me pray for our time now. God, I pray in these next couple of moments, Lord, give us openness, search our hearts, give us humility as we sense, um, Lord, maybe even conviction right now. Lord, I pray you give us eyes to see maybe where your spirit's leading us. And Lord, I pray that, that you would speak specifically. God, please do not speak generally. Speak with specificity to our lives right now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.